Good Gab, sponsored by Skillskin, a nonprofit organization empowering individuals with disabilities through employment. Today, we get the pleasure to meet with Lance Kistler. This is a communication, PR, and marketing guru. That's Steve McBride term. But Lance, we're happy to see you here. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Wow, you really took the uh, level up a notch there. Well, now you got to uh, bring the fire, right? It's like, here <laughs> we so. go. I know. Set that bar high to start with. Well, you were just telling me that uh, you've been in Spokane here for a whole long time, though, huh? Yeah, I've been back in Spokane since 2010, um, so 13 years. Uh, I did grow up in the area, so I grew up in a small rural farm town. You may have seen an exit sign for it on the freeway on I-90. It's called Odessa. Odessa, all right. Yeah, known for its German festival. So if you like uh, the chicken dance, some polka music, German beer, and food, then that's your there. spot. Yeah, yeah. Nice. In September, third weekend in September. Little plug there for my hometown. <laughs> oh, they there love it. Go. Yeah. Uh, well, so what's uh, what have you been up to lately here? You're working at EWU. Like, yeah. what's happening over there? Um, well, so the higher ed landscape is in a difficult time right now. Um, over the past few years, um, and, and even growing kind of into before the pandemic, but the pandemic, of course, I think everybody who probably goes on to uh, different podcasts and talk shows these days talk about how much the pandemic just shone a light on um, issues that were already there right? Um, and, and really expanded them. Um, so for us, uh, you know, the rising cost of tuition, um, the which everybody does every single year for the most part. Um, student loan debt, um, the perceived value of a degree, conversations around um, our students being, you know, taught one, th taught what to think rather than how to think. Um, so it gets into like political ideology uh -huh. and so on and so forth. You could they, just list. There's a lot of stuff going on. A lot yes, of variables. A lot of stuff going on. So then, you know, you throw the pandemic on top of that and then the big shift to distance learning, remote learning, all of that kind of stuff. You know, a lot of places said, oh, we could never teach a class, um, you know, online before. And then guess what? <laughs> we doing, did it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not very well, um, but we all had to make do with what we had. Available. Truth be told, that was the only class I ever dropped was an online class. Yeah. It was astronomy. It was harder than hell. <laughs> and yeah couldn't do it so all was, these youngins who can do it good job oh yeah <laughs> i i was teaching a class um uh online uh during the pandemic and and it was definitely a course that could be taught online it's just you know the quick jump from in-person instruction to online instruction i know a lot of people were struggling with that and uh you know certainly the students struggled the most but our own faculty, our own staff, everyone really struggled with that big that big transition um, because many of us had not taught online before. We right. didn't know how to That's set a new up skill a, set, right? <laughs> exactly. So yeah. you're learning on the fly. Um, so that brought into question, you know, well, if this can just be taught online, why am I paying to live on campus? Or why can't I just go get this program from another online provider? I mean, it just really talk about disruptors. Um, the pandemic was certainly a disruptor for higher education. So that's been, that has been a challenge for us is really kind of getting people back into what does higher education mean? What is the value of a degree? Why should you consider Eastern? Why should you um, consider living on campus? Or 
however you might want to engage with, with the university. Um, but I will say something that has stayed strong throughout the pandemic has been um, our alumni and our supporters. Um, in fact, year over year, we've continued to actually um, fundraise more and more. So that's pretty That's a exciting. great metric. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, I think that's something we should be proud of. Is Absolutely. That it shows when people are willing to you know, say, I'm willing to give, um, and not get something in return, which if you look at, you know, students and enrollment, they're paying to get something in return, right? Yeah, it's a business transaction. Exactly. So um, when you look at donors who are saying, for the most part, you know, I'm not expecting something specific in return, I'm expecting this to make a difference for others. That to me says a lot. They say that they believe in who we are and what we do and what we bring to, to the table. So um, so that was exciting to see over the pandemic, but what we have seen challenges around is enrollment. Right. Our enrollment numbers aren't what we would like them to be. What are they these days? Um, they're around the 10,000-ish mark, but here's, here's the thing. Um, higher ed is like an investment portfolio, if you will. So you've got different um, types of stocks to yeah. get this little analogy going um, <laughs> I like that you it. can invest in. And um, there's each stock comes with a different kind of return. Each stock has a different value associated with it. So, um, and not that, that students by any means should be looked at as numbers or price tags or anything along those lines, but every student does have a dollar amount attached to what sure. they bring in, right? At the end of the day, That's just math. That, right, <laughs> yes. So um, students can uh, bring in a certain dollar amount based upon are they a resident, are they a non-resident, are they in an undergraduate program, a graduate program, are they in an online program, how much scholarships do they, it just all these different variables. And so when we look at our current portfolio, it isn't bringing in the amount of revenue that we would like to see based upon um, past portfolios. Makes, makes sense. sense. You have, need a robust uh, group. Makes right. perfect sense. Yeah. So when and those numbers are about the same numbers when I was there. I was there in like 2004, and I think we were just eclipsing right. the 9,000 getting towards 10,000 students. I think That's Eastern 20 years up, ago. Yeah, I think Eastern got up to about 12,000 maybe in the oh, late 20, 2015, 2016, somewhere around there. There was a, there was a nice um, boom, if you will. Uh, in the numbers, and the numbers were, were I don't want to say the right kind of numbers, but they were the numbers that definitely brought more revenue in um, than based upon numbers that we see today. Well, you build that infrastructure, way. and did you did you go to Eastern before you? Uh, I did. Okay. Yeah. So. A um, little bit about my journey. Um, so I grew up in Odessa, as I said. Um, Coming to the I big was, city of Spokane. Yeah. Um, the smoke-free class of 2000. I don't <laughs> know if anybody remembers that promise that was made, um, but there was a song that we had to sing. Um, we had to learn and sing um, <laughs> growing up. And I think maybe... I think I didn't listen to that one. I was that bad kid on the street. It was the... Um, Your class of 2000? Yeah, yeah. So am I. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, you don't remember that we are the smoke-free class of 2000. No, I, I think I was smoking on the corner. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you were one of that percentage. Yeah, I was. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Drug Free America. No. Um, so graduating in 2000, went to Eastern. Um, I, I will admit Eastern was not actually on my um, options that I was looking at at the time. I'd applied to a handful of different institutions, both locally and, and nationally. And um, Eastern called one day and said, hey, we'd like to offer you a basic, not a full ride, but basically a tuition 
uh, waiver. And, awesome. Uh, yeah. And my parents <laughs> said, that's where you're going to go. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> that made the financial sense to them. So, um, and I'm glad that that's what happened because I had an amazing experience there. So much so that I said, sign me up again. I'll do another two years. Um, those two years turned into much longer because it went into the master's program. And um, as they warn you going into graduate programs, you got to stay focused. And I had a real difficult time staying focused on my thesis. Uh-huh. And so I, by the act of some great mentors and friends and colleagues, I finally completed my thesis in, that was 2010. Was that in communication? Yes. So we were like in this, I, I was in communication at Eastern too, same time okay. frame. Yeah. So people like Patty Chantrell yes. and uh, I Kissling. Love, yes. Oh, so I would occasionally get emails that ex, uh, were either meant for Dr. Kissling uh-huh. or they thought that we were married because our last names were so close. That, so. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, so we were totally in similar orbits. We How were. did I not know you? Yeah. <laughs> were you in the um, undergraduate program? Yeah, then? I was. Okay. Yeah. So that's, yeah, because us grad students were mostly downtown at the Spokane Center and in the evening. That makes so sense. So that we could go to the bars afterwards. Smart. Right. Yeah. In the, old, in the old EWAU. Yes. Yeah. Old, yes. Exactly. <laughs> right from the Blue Star or uh, wherever that, yeah. Yeah. That, that you're bringing back some great memories. There were yeah. some great debriefs after <laughs> uh, classes that happened down there. So. Yeah, so I finished, um, I walked in 2006, but didn't finish until 2010. Um, So I started working at Eastern, actually, for about a year and a half. And then I got an opportunity in 2007 to move down to um, just outside of Portland. Uh, There's a small private liberal arts institution called Pacific University. And had a great experience there. I was there for three years, um, heading up the marketing um, operation there. And then um, this opportunity came to moved back to Spokane and I started at STCU and that really kind of jump-started my engagement here in Spokane because part of my role at STCU is to be out in the community making connections. um, Yeah, so so what did you find when you were out uh, working around? Well, um, so one of the first calls that I got when I came back was from uh, the Inland Northwest Business Alliance, which is the regional LGBTQ Chamber of Commerce. And um, coming from Portland, where the community there was much broader and much more open, um, and the environment was much more accepting, um, I wasn't certain what to think about because I had to make a big decision. It's not that I wasn't out, but I wasn't really out and about professionally. Copy. So, you know, connecting personal and professional life. For me, it was one of those, you know, if it comes up in a conversation, it comes up in a conversation. But otherwise, professionally, I am who I am, right? I'm sure. I'm representing my company, and, you know, that's that's that, right? So, But how awesome to be able to connect everything. Yes, well. Brave moment, though. It was. It was. And so I, uh, I joined the board, and... Um, uh, and well, first I joined the organization, and that quickly turned into a board into a board ask. And so I um, that happens yeah. never. <laughs> <laughs> you got to watch out for those hospitality suites. Those are the worst. And now I realize um, that they're a good strategy to use when you're trying to recruit your own board members. Absolutely. So yeah, have a couple of drinks and then make the ask. Um, so I, I got involved with uh, INBA, and it was a great, um, great experience because I really got to network with a lot of other professionals and a lot of professionals who, at the same time, I knew 
supported me and who I am personally, right? And so um, they, uh, that was a great, fantastic experience. Uh, that got me involved in so many other things, um, especially with STCU too. I, I have to give props. Um, one of the things I loved about that organization was they had a great volunteer program. And so we were actually encouraged to go out and volunteer above and beyond our commitments that many of us will ha would have officially. So okay. some of us had kind of more of those official rules where um, this is we what served. we do. This <laughs> is what we do, right? Like I am, I am here representing STCU on this board or on this whatever it might be. So many of us would go and do things like I'd volunteer with the Red Cross, with um, uh, the Spokane Humane Society, and uh, Spokane AIDS Network, and a number of different other organizations over the years. And it was just great because we were given the space and we were encouraged uh, to do so. Um, and so, you have a lot of skills that nonprofits need, you know, marketing, yeah. PR, communication. It's like a lot of organizations kind of lack th that talent. They um, And they love that additional perspective that we can bring. Even if they do have some of that um, talent or skill set themselves, having someone from the outside, so to speak, bring a different perspective on marketing, communications, and PR really can be valuable for them. Um, there's a I, lot of people listening, uh, you know, to this podcast that are, yeah. you know, involved in nonprofits uh, across our community. Like, any quick tips and tricks, you know, <laughs> from our local guru? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd say, okay, so if you don't have someone um, with that kind of expertise on an advisory board or working group or whatever it might be, consider reaching out. Um, there is a local organization um, that's kind of picking back up after the pandemic called Spokane PRSA. That's the Public Relations Society of America. So there is I a saw some chapter. of their events on uh, LinkedIn pop up. Yep, here yep, there. okay. Yeah, there's a picture of me drinking a beer. Um, <laughs> we don't just do that, but those help um, on occasion. So I, yeah, I would recommend reaching out um, to Spokane PRSA, or if you know someone who, who is a PR communications person, just reaching out to them, and they may connect you with something. I will say that many of us get tapped to do a lot of things. For I can a lot imagine. Of organizations. And so one of the best things that I ever learned was how to say, thank you, but I'm already committed, which is basically. That's a heck of a skill. No, <laughs> however. <laughs> Yeah. So um, <clears throat> anyway, I teach me your ways. I'm just yeah. thinking about that. I'm like, <laughs> I need to learn this. Well, I I've had to have that conversation with um, members of boards that I've served on where I noticed that those individuals were not able to really be engaged at the level that the organization needed. And that's a challenging conversation to say, you know, it's OK to to back away, to step away from something. You can always come back. But if you want to be a part of moving this organization forward right now, then we need you in the here and now. And that means that there's a certain level of engagement and responsibility and activity, whatever it may be, um, that, that needs to be met. And if you're not able to do it right now, that's okay. Let us find someone who can do that right now, and we'll bring you back in when the time is right. Um, we need to take care of ourselves first, and if we don't take care of ourselves first, then how can we take care of an organization yeah, or a cause that we care about? Right? That's really well said. Yeah, so I'm filing that away. <laughs> <laughs> it's and but that's not an easy yeah. conversation to always have because so many people take pride in their commitments in um, making a promise and. I always say it's not that you're breaking a promise. You're just acknowledging that situations change. Um, yep. So it's, it's, and you're still committed to your values and beliefs. It's just understanding that, you know, 
things change, times change, um, things happen, and we just have to we have to adjust. I mean, none of us planned for a two and a half year or whatever pandemic, um, and so many of us had to make adjustments. And I think many of us realized that we needed to take better care of ourselves coming through that and out of it um, to where we are today. And then we can bring our best to the service. Yeah. Okay, so we're reaching out to uh, folks that are in the industry that mm-hmm. we know. Any other like tips and tricks that you would say, like, should they have social media presence yeah. if they don't have anyone to run it? Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, so so that is one of the classes I teach is on um, social media and really how to use it professionally. Um, because so many of us engage personally on it that we don't always think about, oh, what are the professional uses? And um, when whenever I've talked to entities that are looking to start up a social media presence, certainly I always say to them, okay, what, what is your plan? What are your goals? What do you want to achieve with this? And what kind of resources are you going to put behind it? Because it'll be quickly noticed if you dump a whole bunch of stuff in and then just pull right out. Right. Or if you create that Facebook page and you know you assign it to an intern and then the intern leaves after six months. Um, that's not long term. That's not strategic. It's not sustainable. Um, so probably not helpful too, right? Cause yeah. you're going to build some momentum and that right. goes away. Well, and then you have people showing up there, um, you know, if they've got a problem or a concern and reaching out and then they never hear back because no one's monitoring or whatever. So it just adds to the reputation risk in that, in that case. Great um, point. you have to be ready to take the bad with the good. Um, that's the other thing is as soon as you have a presence out there, you are open up for business on the spectator sport of social media. <laughs> um, people love to use it, uh, without actually having a genuine, um, one-on-one conversation with human beings these days. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, the keyboard warriors, and it's so easy to post a manifesto, um, than it is to sit down and have a conversation with someone. Um, I've got a concern about something, well, I'm going to go post it online and it's going to catch fire and and my friends are going to support it and and here off we go, right? And where's the long-term relationship in that? Where's where's the actual long-term and systemic change that happens? And and that's something that I think, you know, getting into um, some of the other stuff that I've been involved with um, here in Spokane, the past... Well, I'm five and a half years in on the Human Rights Commission. and um, Tell us about the Human Rights Commission. I don't know if everyone really understands what they're up to. Yeah, sure. Um, so the Spokane Human Rights Commission was founded, oh gosh, I should know this because it's a trivia question that we ask people, but it was about 20, 30 years yeah. ago, somewhere around there. Right? Yeah, long time. Uh, not a long time. I mean, when you think about it, um, you know, the civil rights movement in the 60s and 70s um, happened, but even before then. Great point. You know, UN Declaration yeah. of Human Rights and so on and so forth. So Spokane, in terms of having the commission, was a little bit behind the times, but we were also um, at least you know, somewhat tangentially with the state, a little bit of a leader in the United States as far as civil rights um, laws and movements happened. Um, there's an interesting presentation that my fellow uh, commissioner and I have given about, um, we call it bending towards justice, and it's about the history of civil rights kind of nationally and how Washington has always sort of been towards the leading edge of it, even though at certain times Spokane was a little bit of a, um, lagged behind uh-huh. just a little bit, right? So um, the commission's been around uh, since, I think it was the early 90s, and um, 
we, over the past couple of years, have really been focused on uh, standing up this Office of Civil Rights, Equity, and Inclusion. First started off just called the Office of Civil Rights. And um, there had been work done on this. I really need to give um, kudos, props, thanks to all the people who did a lot of work on this, not just in 2019-ish, when we kind of really started kicking things off from the commission's perspective, uh, but there had been a lot of work done before that. And I, I don't know who everyone all was that was involved, um, so I'm not gonna list names because I don't wanna <laughs> accidentally leave someone out. Um, but I do want to give thanks to the collective group um, and people who had worked on it um, prior to December of 2019. That's when the commission said, we're going to start Here a task we force. We need to get going on this. We need to find out, is this viable? Um, is this feasible? What is it going to take uh, to, to set this up? What should it look like? And so um, we engaged with a number of different community partners from the um, from Gonzaga's um, Hate Institute Center for Hate Studies, um, to the NAACP, to Greater Spokane Progress, uh, and you name the, the group, and it was probably somehow connected to uh, this task force. Yeah, that we bringing put together. everybody together. Right. Yeah, at least as much as yeah. we could. And then, of course, so December 2019, a couple months later, I think we had one planning <laughs> or kickoff meeting in person, and then boom, um, pandemic hit. So um, that definitely put a little bit of, uh, it, it didn't douse the flame. But it certainly closed the air vent, um, <laughs> and and it didn't pick up the traction that it that it could have had. Um, so we, we you know we worked on it, continue to work on it, and um, I, um, I don't know all of the political things that happened during that time. I think it probably depends on who you talk to about whether or not this was moving and that wasn't moving and so on and so forth. But we knew that we wanted to stay steadfast on at least some sort of an office needs to be. Um, established and I think I don't remember who it was brought it up at one point that said don't let perfection get in the way of progress right it's a great saying and and I think that so many of us get stuck on this is what we have in mind this is the picture that we have and so um, if it doesn't look like that then we're not doing it or it's wrong or whatever it might be yeah right? you gotta have that iterative process and just let it exactly. evolve I mean, you look at um, civil rights in particular over over time, um, things didn't just always happen overnight and they didn't always happen perfectly either. I mean, we're still working. I mean, they, what do they call the United States? The great, um, you know, project or democratic, yep. whatever it is, uh, that we're still to this very day trying to figure out what um, what makes our society um, not perfect, but, but function really well. Absolutely. Right? So, um, it wasn't until, I want to say it was 2021, that the office got um, approved, and then... So this is within the city government, within the city right? city government, yeah. So, so the Human Rights Commission um, provides advice to city council. Um, we are not an investigative body, a regulatory body. Um, we don't, uh, you know, we don't fine anyone or any of that kind of stuff. We're basically the entity that can write a strongly worded letter, right, 
I mean, I mean that's pretty much what it comes yeah, down to. Yeah, but a true advisor. But a true advisor, right. So, <laughs> uh, so we would definitely have people come to us like, why aren't you, you know, doing that? We're not a, um, a, uh, an activist group. Um, I would say we are more about advocacy. Um, I love that. That, that kind of, um, it d not that there, there is a place for activism, um, but with a city municipal entity that that's not our role. Um, so, and that, and that's been really difficult to kind of work with some, um, groups and some individuals who just don't understand that kind of separation, uh, of roles. Um, so, and, and I was the chair for three years and of course during the pandemic we had a lot of civil unrest around certain, um, social issues. Yeah, we did. And I think that there were some expectations that, um, you know, at least myself as the chair should be out with a megaphone. That's a know, lot of pressure. And you're like, no, we're advocates. Throwing rocks and, you know, doing all sorts of stuff, burning the place down. And that's, um, that's not the role of the commission or the chair. And that's also not who I am as a person. Um, I'm a collaborator. I'm someone who wants to uh, build a relationship with people, even if it's someone who I maybe don't um, fully agree with. I think that there is value in s forming some sort of relationship because totally. there's probably something we can agree on and maybe that agreement can get us closer to the next thing. And that comes back to the whole don't let um, perfection come in the way of, of progress is that, all right, we may have to take some steps, you know, and it, we're not going to get all the way to where we want to be. So um, we went through a process of trying to, um, once the office was was stood up, so to speak, um, I, I guess stood up isn't really the word. It was created in the city's municipal code. Okay. Right, so. You have been codified. You have been, yes, it, <laughs> it, it is there, but there is no actual physical office. There are no people. Um, there's just, you know, a budget line item, and now we gotta, you know, do the rest of the work, right? So that's good. Um, There's a budget associated with this. Yeah, yes, now that's, that's a big step. Yeah. One of the biggest things that I was pushing for, uh, because I know how this works, um, you can have great and talented people, but if they don't have any money to do anything with, then you're not going to get anywhere, yep. or at least you're not going to get um, very far, very fast, right? So having an operational um, expense it w uh, budget was was important um, because people need to, you know, continue to stay up to date on, on trainings and yep. professional development. They need to develop as a PR and marketing communications person materials. They need to conduct outreach. All of that stuff costs money, right? And so if, if they don't have the budget to do that, then you're really hamstringing them from being able to do what, what they need to well, do. Well, good for Spokane, you know, to yeah. prioritize. So what's the vision? What, what will this part of the office do? So, um, gosh, I wish I would have brought my diagram with me. Um, uh, it's been a while since I've presented about or talked about the office specifically, but there were kind of three um, main buckets that I recall from doing um, outreach and education to um, uh, policy stuff, and I'm trying to remember what the third one was, but um, and I think maybe it was the, the complaint handling piece because there are some pieces underneath Title 18 of the city's code um, around uh, public accommodations, um, employment, and housing, uh -huh. um, discrimination in those three particular areas. Um, I think that there will be some growing areas related to um, one of the things we're working on is a um, basically a, a, a bill of rights for people who are uh, houseless. So what are the, what is the minimum that we expect um, 
individuals who are currently in a houseless situation, um, how do how do we respect them and dignify them, right? Because wow, we that's have, really progressive. Well, <laughs> we have so many um, kind of expectations and protections in place for those who are not. Um, and you know, you look at like landlords and tenants and so on. Well, why why not those people who are are not in those situations? Um, yeah, why not? Why not? Right. And um, you know, thinking about um, people as as human beings and um, painting a painting a um, a picture of of them as a a holistic person and not just a number, not just putting them into oh well they suffer from this or they, it's because of that or or whatever. Um, so. That's something that we've been working on. I could see that becoming part of, of Title 18 as well. Um, one of the other things that really uh, um, came forward was the issue around the Monaghan statue. Um, so that's like just down the road from where we are at, literally yep. down the road. Um, and so we took a look at that and we discovered that the city didn't really have a, um, a formal process in place that was open and transparent and um, really brought the, the stakeholders in place. We had seen what happened with Wistock's Way, um, which was great, good progress there, um, but that was kind of its own little uh, exploration of, of trying to figure out how to address something. And how to do um, it within and, the code. Right, and how to do it within <laughs> the code and how to involve the right partners <laughs> and and not just change something, but actually you know kind of move forward to um, the healing process as well. So uh, we. I love that you're thinking about the more holistic approach. Yeah, well, you it's know, it's not one thing just to like change a name, right? It's exactly. Like, yeah, and it's then the say, meaning oh, behind it. Oh, everything's good. And move on. <laughs> I will say that is something I will admit that it wasn't until um, you know being on the commission and all of the stuff that happened during the pandemic um, with social justice issues, I didn't really think about things that way prior to then. Um, so my mindset and my approach really did evolve and i think part of that is is accepting the fact that we don't know everything right right we're we're constantly learning we're constantly evolving and there's this level of um, humility that you need to have that um, just because i think one way today doesn't mean i might not think a different way tomorrow um, and so that was something that i really um really took uh, forward and I think it's important for us to be thinking about. So that's a that's a new lens that I've been trying to use um, with my work on the commission. Um, so that uh, office is uh, almost kind of up and running. They've been going through some director searches. Um, so yeah, it's in the hiring process right now. Right, yeah. I, I think they're getting ready to announce um, a a hire. Um, I, I don't know all the details, but um, I, I removed myself from the process uh, after the first round. Um, that would be a whole nother podcast that we would have to have, <laughs> or whatever you want to call well, it. Well, you can come back, show. Lance. Thank <laughs> you. Um, so what I learned, yeah, in working with city huh. government and uh, community-based agencies and organizations on how to hire, that's, uh, yeah, that would be, I could probably write a book. Um, so, we're, but this is happening. It's happening. Yeah, and, and that's a that is a light in our city. It like, is. Yes. It's not just talk. We're putting money, yeah. literally, money where about this. Here we go. Yeah, and I um, I hope that um, so I only have six months left on the commission, and then I term off. Um, so then I'll be looking for kind of my my next thing uh, to to go out and put my energy and attention into. Going back to that whole, you only got. Um, so I'm going to use this. I'm going to quick di diversion here. Um, one of my good 
friends and former colleagues um, shared with me the concept of spoons, which is at the day. Enlighten us. Okay, yeah. So the, at the um, beginning of the day, you start with a certain number of spoons. And throughout the day, as people approach you or as um, work comes up or whatever it is, every time someone is kind of taking from you emotionally or um, psychologically or mentally or whatever, you're, you're giving away a spoon. And at some point, you have to say, I don't have any spoons left. Yeah, it's finite. Right? It's a finite amount. And so um, you have to choose to say, am I going to give a spoon to this or not? And that can be really difficult to do because some of us um, really want to always help. And I'm that are, way. Right? Yeah. It sounds like you're say, that way. It's difficult to say no. And so I. But I you only have so many spoons. Only have so many spoons. And so, you know, one of the spoons will be coming back, which is the work with the commission, because that, that does take time and energy. Um, and so that will be something that I'll, I'll look at is, you know, do I hold on to that spoon for a while? Do I find a new place to give it to? Um, you know, what, what, is there a new direction I should be looking at that maybe provides me with a different sense uh -huh. of self um, uh, satisfaction or self-worth or whatever you want to call it? Is anything right? brewing right now in your mind like, um, that you, you could share? I'm, I've had some preliminary conversations with uh, a couple of my friends about um, and colleagues who have some, you know, boards that are there, some organizations that are looking for some help on their boards. So um, there may be a couple of things out there that I, I might look at. But once again, I, I'm just kind of, I don't know, I want to wait and see um, what happens because things could happen between now and then. You know, I, I don't know what's going to, what the next six months are going to bring. And I don't want to get too ahead of myself um, on stuff. So, yeah. Um, so I, uh, I'm excited to see, you know, where the office goes. Yeah. Um, I hope that um, the commission will have been um, left in a better place than when I found it. That's one of my beliefs is that, you know, we come into the it's world. As good as the, as the chair. And, yeah. <laughs> um, and that, we, you know, however we leave the world, hopefully we've made, um, you know, somewhat of a better place with our contributions. And so my goal was to really try to um, make the commission more sophisticated. Um, so building in a lot of like, well, okay, let's revamp our bylaws. Let's make sure we have processes in place. That's um, a lot of the hard work that it, no one's willing to take on. It is, yeah. It's necessary for longevity's sake. Exactly. Well, that's uh, one of the things that happened. Um, I was vice chair and... Um, our, we had our, our chair uh, left because she termed off during the middle of, so the appointments were, commissioners were appointed on a, not a calendar year, but from a, um, an anniversary date. That's the best yep. way to put it. So if you started in June, then new appointments three years out from that June, then you either termed off or you got reappointed and you can be reappointed once. So they're three-year terms, so you could serve six years altogether. But our officer cycles were on a calendar year basis, January through December. So we had our chair termed off during the middle of their calendar year appointment, right? And I'm like, okay, this does not make sense. No, it does not. Right? we got to fix got, this. Yeah, I mean, I understand yeah. that, okay, so this is where the vice chair would step in, sure, but, um, you know, what happens if you have multiple people? Like, this just, this really does not make sense. And then um, I had one of the other leaders who 
one of the other commissioners who had been on the commission for quite some time um, decided to step down and I was quickly realizing we've got some leadership transition continuity stuff that we need to address. And so part of what um, my work then was working with the, uh, the mayor's office to say, all right, let's appoint people on a calendar year cycle so that you know they would start and end with any officer appointments. Let's also look at staggering those appointments so that we don't have like six of the nine commissioners all term off on the same year. Yeah, we lose you know? all of this knowledge. Exactly, so um, that's part of that sophistication <laughs> piece, right? Is that um, people don't really think about that helps with sustainability and continuity for, for an organization. So hopefully I've left the commission in a better spot. Um, there's still work to be done um, in, in that regard. And then um, the Office of Civil Rights, Equity, and Inclusion. That was the other thing that I said, by the time I'm done with, uh, with serving, um, with the commission, I, I want to see this office actually up and going. So well, it sounds like it's gonna happen. I, yeah, that's what it sounds Lance, like. Lance, that's something to be very proud of, and you know, I'm sure our listeners are are thinking about this. I know I am. Anyway, it's like Spokane. We are fortunate to you know have you and all the effort that you put on, and just sometimes you just raise your hand. And you don't know what you're gonna get into. Yeah, and you did well, it. And I, I, I want to go back to there were so many people involved and there are some people who did some really heavy lifting. I probably just got to be the face of it um, at times, given the role as the chair of the commission as, and as um, leading the, the, the commission's task force. There was another working group that was going on and, um, and of course all of the people who had their various contributions. So by no means do I want it to appear that, oh, you know, without Lance, this would not have happened. Um, I think hopefully what I brought was the ability to get people organized, to keep people, you know, moving along and to um, apply pressure when pressure was needed, to back channel yeah. when back channel was needing, um, to find compromise, whatever it was to keep moving progress forward, right? Hopefully that's what I was able to do with it. and. It was all of the great research. It was all of the great writing. It was all of the great presentations. It was the uh, outreach and all the other stuff that everybody else brought to the table um, that really made it a success. So, Good Gabbers, that's the words of a real servant leader right there. Lance, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, yeah thank you. And I'm glad, uh, glad you brought up servant leadership. So Leadership Spokane, class of 2014. I will give a plug to Leadership 2020. Spokane. Yeah, I, I, I think leadership's, uh, servant leadership is so, so important. Um, many of us uh, don't know that we're going to end up in a position of leadership. We just end up, you know, getting called to serve. We end up getting an appointment, um, you know, the, with great power comes great responsibility quote right um, and I think um, you know I've never really been a fan of people who seek out leadership positions because they they want to direct people um, they want to be bosses they want to be leaders. bosses yeah it's it's positional mm. authority as opposed to um, you know really having that that genuine relationship and that altruistic approach the re the reluctant leader is my favorite leader yeah. yeah i will follow them all the time yes exactly so um i and i think that you know some of us are it doesn't mean that people who run and campaign for office or whatever it might be um it doesn't mean that that's what they're they're looking for it's it may just be them raising their hand to say you know what 
this is what I'm going to do, you know, so it's my time. Yeah. Yeah. So I have great respect yeah. for those folks, um, especially in our environment today. Um, I know I had thought at one point about running for political office and then I was like, mm, you yeah, ready for all of that heavy. Yeah, no, yeah. I just, um, I just, I feel like it's such a, going back to the spectator sport on social media, you know, um, I, I feel like people just are so quick to dehumanize one another and, um, and, and in order to, you know, advance their own cause um, or advance themselves, whatever it is. And, um, you know, I don't have a spoon for that. <laughs> so, yeah. Lance, thanks for joining us today. Thank I you know, uh, you know, our listeners can definitely be watching what you're up to next, including me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.